0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening. Two weeks to Christmas. Good morning, John Lamb.
2: Good morning, Deb, and welcome, gardeners all. Yes, two weeks to Christmas but we've got 35 degrees to contend with tomorrow so make sure those garden sprinklers and watering systems are working overtime today and I'm sure if you could give your gardening a good watering the gardens will look brilliant for their Christmas festivities. We're going to take a little look at herbs this morning and our guest will be penny woodward wonderful garden author writer and editor of abc organic gardening and she's going to take a look particularly at garlic but i thought penny wanted to talk about garlic harvesting garlic because it's a bit tricky but while we're talking garlic and harvesting we might talk about harvesting other herbs as well
0: exactly so if you have a garlic or a herb or even a tomato related question. Penny Woodward is here and uh, to take your calls in just a moment. Wonderful horticultural editor of ABC Organic Gardener magazine. Um, and we're going to talk about another great gardening identity who sadly died uh, this week in Peter Cundall. And he was really a pioneer in organic gardening
2: certainly big influence on many people and uh, encouraged many people to become an organic gardener. And we'll talk to Tim Marshall. uh, He'll be uh, putting his NASA hat on, the uh, National Australian Sustainable Agriculture and... Tim, I think, will just take a look at the influence of Peter Cundall over many, many decades.
0: And it is coming into Christmas, so the Christmas presents are here for you. I have two ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little later in the program, but that's not all. We have got three ABC Gardening Australia calendar and diary Christmas gift packs to give away to you. You need to register with your full name and postal address by no later than half past nine this morning and poor choice in cock is going to go through the hundreds of registrations and pick three at random and we will name you before 10 o'clock this morning. So the postal um, address and name please to 04679 Double two eight nine one, and your phone calls call, call in now if you'd like to speak to Penny on one three hundred triple two eight nine one.
2: Penny Woodward, who's the horticultural editor of ABC Organic Gardening magazine and also author of many books, particularly relating to herbs, was our guest, and we were talking tomatoes. In came a question on how do you harvest garlic? So we put that one on hold and Penny agreed that she'd come back and talk about harvesting garlic and I thought ha ha, let's not just talk about harvesting garlic, we'll talk about harvesting other popular herbs. So good morning to you Penny Woodward and welcome back to Talk Back Gardening.
3: Good morning John and Deb
2: and listeners, it's lovely to be with you. So let's look at garlic. Uh, Many people planted uh, in uh, autumn and they've now got lovely garlic plants growing and they're wondering what happens and how do you harvest, how do you uh, get the garlic to dry out and and, and dig it and, and harvest and look after it. Could we start by looking at, from a plant's point of view, as the garlic starts to approach maturity, what goes on within the plant so that it does mature and is ready for harvesting?
3: Um, well in the last couple of weeks it actually, they put on a lot of size um, so you don't want to harvest too early but it's also important not to harvest too late because then the skins will start breaking down. So one of the things that you look for is that, that some of the leaves start dying um, and usually you're thinking about harvesting when you've got four to six green leaves left and those leaves actually go down and create the skins around the bulb. So if you let all your leaves die, then you will have no skins around the bulb and you'll just have the cloves. It's still fine to harvest, but it won't store for very long. Um, so that's one of the first things that you're looking for is is the leaf dieback, but not too much. Um, the other thing is just to do the soil test, pull the soil back from the bulb and have a look at the size of your bulb. And if it's a decent size and it's been in the soil between seven to eight months, which is the usual growing period for most of the garlics that you grow in South Australia, um, then it's probably just about ready to harvest. And if you um, hang on for the hot day tomorrow um, and harvest before it rains the next time, that will also give the bulb a chance to tighten its skins, um, which will mean it will store for a bit longer too.
2: Okay, let's talk about storing because you have written a wonderful book simply called Garlic <laughs> for Gardeners, and in it it says it talks about curing. You've got to cure your bulbs before you actually hang them up and put them aside to dry. Tell us about curing.
3: Um, well, c- curing is the, is in to some extent the same as drying. So, but we tend to use the term curing because drying can also be used for when you actually slice up the cloves and dry them and store them in that way. So curing is what you do after you've harvested your garlic. So you harvest your garlic and at that point it's green garlic and you can actually eat it at that point if you want to. It's a really Nice plant, but it doesn't have, it has a lovely sweet garlic flavour. It doesn't have the intensity of the cured garlic. Some Once of the gardeners p-
2: around me, uh, their garlic is ready, and when it's ready, they push the leaves over and uh, they don't, uh, yeah, well, the, 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 yeah. Uh, there they are, the leaves but, are just pushed over. Why are they doing that, and is, is that okay. needed?
3: So, so that's something that's done a lot with onions and, and works really well with onions. It, with garlic, it depends what garlic you're growing so if you 've got soft neck garlics, then pushing the leaves over and putting a fork under and slightly lifting the bulb will actually help the garlic that particular garlic to cure in the soil um, for a few days before you harvest it um, but with the if you 've got hard neck garlics like like um, creoles or turbans, that actually won 't work for for those garlic. This is a tradition that comes from the hot regions of um, Italy and Spain um so we find that gar- uh, garlic growers with that sort of nationality often do this this with their garlics, but it doesn 't work for all garlics so yes. you do need I, to be I, a little I live prepared. I
2: live in a suburb which has got uh, quite, quite a lot of italian gardeners. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: so that 's where it comes from but it 's only part of Italy that it comes from so uh, in the in the more northern slightly cooler areas um it they don 't use that technique
2: is it sensible to just dig the garlic and and leave it on the surface to dry out a bit?
3: The problem you have with that is if you dig it and you do, do that today and you leave it on the surface tomorrow, if you've got turban garlics for instance, you will burn your garlics because they have quite thin skins um, so you really don't want to do that if, if it, you're going to have really hot weather. If it's, you know, sort of low 20s, then it will be all right. Once it gets into the 30s, you're risking damaging your garlic. Uh, I would, I don't ever um, cure on the soil surface because you can also get dew unexpectedly or <clears throat> or a shower of rain. Um, and then you've got to sort of start all over again because your bulbs have got wet. So I would, I'd, I'd dig them up, I tie them into a bunch of three or four and I hang them in a warm, airy position to give them a chance to absorb all the nutrients from the leaves um, and the roots.
2: We're talking but- with Penny Woodward, author of many gardening books, particularly those relating to herbs. Penny, let's talk basil People sure. love growing basil and it hasn't been the best of seasons for getting basil off to a good start, a little bit cooler than normal. So people have bought their little pot and it's got probably uh, uh, maybe 15, 20 or 30, even 30 little stems on it. Um, what to do? First of all, um, it, to get the the plant run uh, uh, growing a little bit faster, can you sort of apply it with fertiliser and stimulate it that way or...? Are there other alternatives?
3: When you you plant small seedlings like that, it's better not to overdo the fertiliser to start off with. Um, And often when you're buying um, a pot with lots of little plants in it, each one of those represents an individual plant. So if you know what you're doing, you can actually pull those apart and you can have 10 separate plants or you can leave them in a couple of you know bigger bunches and just let them grow and you know harvest some of the outside ones and leave the the central ones to keep growing and form big plants okay
2: so it's quite okay i mean it's the same thing if you get say coriander or parsley you'll buy and there's probably multi-stems there it's quite okay to just grow them as a bunch
3: yeah, look, you, you, you have to harvest the outside ones so that, so that the internal ones can keep growing. So develop big. It, eventually they'll crowd each other out, but you can just put them all in together if you want to and harvest from the outside, yeah.
2: I love my basil, and of course I had my single basil plant. It was growing slowly and I wanted to harvest it. How much can you chop off without destroying the plant?
3: Um, it's always a good idea with basil to nip the top out for your first harvest because that um, then encourages side growth so that you're getting extra branches and a denser plant. Um, if you need some extra leaves, then I pick, a, go right down the bottom and pick some of the lower, bigger leaves. But don't over harvest or you're going to set your plant back.
2: What about harvesting? coriander uh, again you know you've got sort of stems at the leaves at the top and, and halfway down should you chop them in half do you take the whole stem or just the top leaves
3: um generally again i pinch out the top leaves because what you're trying to do particularly with coriander is to stop it from going to seed so anything that looks like it's heading up to form a flower head Um, which they tend to do as soon as you get hot weather in spring, um, you need to try and slow that down. Um, I mean, eventually you can let it go to seed and and if the seed drops, quite often you'll get self-sown coriander. But I tend to plant my coriander in autumn um, and then get lots of harvesting and growth from it during the cooler months and then it's okay to go to seed once it gets to spring and hot weather.
2: So how do you stop the coriander from running to seed?
3: Uh, look, you you can delay it by, as I said, um, pinching out the tips and the flowers, um, but eventually it will just go to seed and die because it's an annual. So, so if you um, like
2: your coriander, you just keep on growing lots and lots of planting yeah. every two or three weeks or so.
3: Yeah, you can do that. But all, one of the things that you should do at this time if you used is to try growing it from seed because coriander really doesn't like being transplanted. So you've got more chance of it not going to seed if you grow it from seed.
2: Yeah, I reckon I'm with you there. Uh, Getting those little jiffy pots, you get a little jiffy pot um, made of peat and just put a little bit of potting mix in it, put your seeds in that, and I plant one about every three to four weeks. And so uh, it just means that it's in a jiffy pot and if you want to put it into a larger pot, you put the whole jiffy pot into a larger pot and it doesn't get any transplant shock.
3: Yeah, look, terrific idea. The, The one thing you do need to be careful with that is that you bury the jiffy pot you don't leave part of it sticking out otherwise it has a tendency to dry out so um yeah which I'm sure most people do but I have seen people transplant jiffy pots and leave a bit sticking out and it just the whole thing stays dry and the roots don't get through and break it down and
0: Penny Woodward is our wonderful special guest, horticultural editor of ABC Organic Gardener magazine. If you would like to ask Penny a question, you've got a very small window. So call in now, 1300 222 and Penny will answer your questions in just a moment. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Woodward Woodwood is our special guest. We are talking about garlic, but we are going to take your calls on tomatoes, other summer herbs as well. And Mark from Port Neal has phoned in about tomatoes.
4: Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you?
0: We're all very well, thanks.
4: Awesome. Yeah, I've got a question about me tomatoes. Um, they, the leaves seems to be well, like wilting or curling over and it looks like they're, they're fairly dried out. And one plant's actually the leaves are really dried out. Um, I think I water them enough, but yeah.
2: Mark, are they um, wilting from the top or from the bottom? Uh I think from the top actually. <laughs> what do you um, reckon, Penny?
3: <laughs> um, well, I was I was just about to say that if they if they're wilting from the bottom, so the typical thing with drying off at the bottom is is usually tomato russet mite. Yes which which can cause real issues with tomatoes, especially when it gets dry. If it's wilting from the top, then it's more likely to be um, some sort of fungal disease. Um, I, yeah, look, it's it's so hard to know. There's so many things that affect tomatoes and it's hard to know without actually seeing what other damage there might be to the leaves. But um, yeah, I, I would, I, if it's coming from the top, I'd be cutting out the bit that is wilted and dry and seeing if you can encourage some new growth um, by giving a a bit but not too much of um, a nitrogenous fertiliser.
2: Yes, it worries me when tomato plants wilt from the top and Absolutely. as you say by chopping out the wilt uh, the, the, the top section often you can look at the stem and if you look inside yeah. the stem and it's all uh, black the little veins are black uh, at that stage I reckon it's better to pull the whole plant the out whole plant and start out. all yeah. over again yeah it's so we, great yeah sure no, okay, maybe yeah. not
0: you wanted to hear Mark but <laughs> thank you very much for the call
2: so let's just finish up on herbs if we may Penny um Chives, people like the taste of the oniony taste of chives, and you buy a little bunch of uh, of chives in a pot, um, and then you think, okay, look, um, I've got to harvest the leaves. But if you chop off the leaves, you don't have much plant left. What happens?
3: Okay, so you need to you need to let your plant plants get to a decent size. So every every one of those little leaves that is poking up in the pot has a little bulb down the bottom so when you plant them out you can separate them all if you want to because they make a really good border to a veggie garden or around the base of a pot Um, they look fantastic and then they will gradually multiply with tiny tiny little um, bulbs down the bottom you never actually harvest the bulbs it is just the leaves and then when you've got lots of plants you can cut some of them back and leave the others to keep growing. And by the time you get to the others, the ones that you've cut back will start growing again too. And the other thing to remember is when they're in flower, those flowers are edible too. And they're beautiful and they look fabulous, sprinkled over a salad or a soup. Or a, So the whole plant is edible.
2: Let's look at the different kind of herbs. And many people, they don't have much room in their garden. So they've got a big planter box or a, a bowl. Uh, Ken, is it okay to put three or four or, or even more different herbs in the same little bowl or box, or do you need to have them in their own separate containers?
3: Uh, look, it depends on the herb. So if I were planting up a big pot, um, I would look at combining some of the um, Mediterranean-type herbs that all like the same conditions, so all like sun and really good drainage. So if you wanted an oregano and a marjoram, and a thyme um, you could put all of, and a sage is a bigger plant at the back they would all grow really well together but i wouldn't put mint in with them because mint will just take over the pot so if you want to grow mint um grow it on its own penny
2: we don't have too much time this morning and christmas is coming so quickly so um i think I would say thank you very much for your contribution today. Uh, Before we do say goodbye, though, could I just sort of uh, list some of the wonderful books? And I just think with Christmas coming, giving a gardening book to a gardener could be very, very uh, valuable. Um, And probably Herbs for Australian Gardens would be your main book about herbs. Would that be correct?
3: Uh, Yes, it's the most comprehensive book
2: about herbs. I know, and there's also Growing Easy Herbs, Herbal Remedies, Garlic and Friends. (laughs) There's one which I found very, very useful in educating me was Asian Herbs and Vegetables. That was written some time ago, but it's still an excellent reference book, Penny. And I didn't realise back in, uh, was it uh, five or six years ago, you won uh, the Laurel Award for your book on community gardens. Tell us just very briefly about that book.
3: Um, Community Gardens was written at the time of... Uh, I was with Pam Vardy, who is also a member of the Horticultural Media Association, and we wanted to tell the stories, the good stories, of some of the refugees who were coming to Australia and the plants that they were growing. And um, So we interviewed people from, I think, about 20, 25 different countries and cultures and told their stories and talked about the plants that they were growing in the community gardens in central Melbourne. So, um, and part of, the, part of the value of the book went back to the community garden as well.
2: Yes, so, a great book simply called Community Gardens. And the final book, of course, is uh, your wonderful book on tomato. Tomato, know, so, grow and feast. It really is a wonderful reference book. Penny, um, just quickly, your website?
3: pennywoodwood.com.au
2: Look forward very much to talking to you in the new year.
3: Thank you. And can I wish you and, and um, all your listeners a you know, very happy summer season. Um, yeah. And hope let's hope that we all get to get out there and see our families. Exactly, Penny.
0: Well said. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us throughout 2021. And we send our, our festive season wishes to you and your family also. Thank you. Thank you. The wonderful Penny Wood, Wood a horticultural editor of ABC Organic Gardener magazine. Let's get back to our Talk Back Garden questions with Michael from Golden Grove. You've got a fungus on what plant, Michael?
4: Yeah, good morning, Deb, John. Um, <clears throat> I've got a couple of problems which I think I'm, I might be able to sort out. I've got uh, a, a problem with what I think is dampening off and I'm just looking for a suitable soil treatment uh, to sort of mitigate this fungus. Is there anything that you can sort of put in the soil prior to uh, planting seeds seedlings?
2: Yeah. Well, probably more important is keeping the topsoil dry. Um, right. Th- th- just that top half a centimetre in particular. Um, uh-huh. The problem uh, with danting off is, is a fungus called pythium and it gets, right. attacks the base of the stem. You get a little collar rot on it. Try fungerid. If you're, you're a serious gardener, it's a fairly big packet of it. You might be able to buy a smaller quantity. But fungerid is very, very effective in preventing damping off. You put it onto the... or Once you plant, your your first watering. You water that into the soil. But it's how you actually look after the topsoil in keeping it dry uh-huh. and you want moisture. You're planting seeds in a little container? Uh, yes. Right. Uh, rather than water from the top, water from the bottom... So get your container with the, the seeds growing in it and put that into a larger container and that hmm. larger container will only, have, uh, will only be probably no more than a third full and just leave it there for half an hour. And what will happen sure. is the water will soak up from the bottom and soak up by capillary action to where the seeds are. And so as okay. soon as the topsoil looks like it's drying out, then dunk it and you might find that you're dunking it every day or even every second day. But that way uh, it means that the bottom might be soggy wet but the top is moist but not over wet and contains plenty of air. Okay, cool. All right, and uh, just quickly, uh, snow
4: peas and tomato plants. I was listening to what Penny was saying uh, just earlier. I'm having trouble with snow peas in particular. Uh, The stems are sort of browning and drying at the base, and I'm, I'm wondering whether it's related to the damping off as well. But these are sort of you know, good, good established plants, and uh, it's sort of this, the stems browning and drying, and moves up the plant with the leaves going brown and, and shrivelling off, particularly on the snow peas.
2: Yeah, okay, it sounds very much like a bacterial or a scler- sclerotinia, maybe a fungal disease. Um, but okay. uh, yeah, they are very susceptible to that during uh, very, very moist conditions. And sure. uh, I would presume that you've got a fairly protected area, not much wind. I mean, this wind should have been drying the plants out. Um, sure. Is it protected? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It, it, if you can increase the wind flow across the plants, that will increase uh, or reduce the, the likelihood of the problem. Once you've got the okay. problem, very difficult to control. Copper, I suppose, When if you're just seen it starting to happen... Um, mm-hmm. than spraying the uh, the plants with uh, one of the copper sprays, liquid copper or in copper particular.
4: Copper oh, liquid copper? Okay. Liquid yep. copper. Sorry, liquid is, copper.
2: It, it sticks a little bit better than the rest, a bit dearer. Uh, but, uh, uh, but once you've got a large quantity of leaves affected, it's probably pretty difficult. And maybe uh, if you've got um, affected plants and you're growing new plants, in other words you've got a succession of plants, pulling out the disease plants and getting rid of them so that they don't transfer the disease from one plant to the other would also be worthwhile.
4: And would the liquid copper be good as a drench as well for the soil?
2: Uh, it's the, it's not a soil borne, well, uh, the, the effect okay. is on the leaves, so what you've got to do is protect the leaves, uh, you don't have to protect the roots. And uh, um, Okay.
0: Okay, Michael. Well, thanks oh, very much for the call. You. Appreciate that. And uh, the lines are open. You can call us on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We'll catch up with uh, John and Nicholas in just a moment. And also, don't forget that... The time is nigh. If you haven't registered now for your ABC, a Gardening Australia gift pack, then don't bother because the cutoff is half past nine. I can tell you we've got several hundred. (laughs) You only need to put your name in once. Um, I'm seeing some names coming up several times. And Troy Sincock has got the difficult job of (laughs) picking three winners, but the good news is you'll get another chance next uh, week as well, so don't worry about that. And a little bit later... In the program, I'll also give away a couple of Gardening Australia magazines. Thank you very much to Jean on the text line. It's 0467 891 says, Just finished a huge clean-up from the hailstorm we had at Elizabeth. Lush 60-year-old grapevine covering a 10 by 12-metre pergola is recovering well. Strong winds are still blowing hail-burnt leaves down. Some hail had daggers on them which tore through cotton palm fronds, otherwise having a bonza spring.
2: Most gardeners, I think, are pretty happy with the season is turning out and it's the anomalies that cause the frustration, but it's a matter of managing either the wind or the rain or uh, tomorrow's hot, hot weather. Might have a quick comment on that later on.
0: Yes, because we are having a spike of 35 tomorrow, so important you you do keep that in mind if you possibly can. Um, Also, John, uh, in terms of the fact that Christmas Day... Uh, we had our prediction from Darren Ray last week. There might be a slight update to that a little bit later in the program because I did not cut out the audio <laughs> because last year Darren Ray was spot on with his prediction, wasn't he? Yes, and,
2: and uh, stay tuned because I think he's got some good news for Christmas Day.
0: Okay, right. We'll see what he's got to say because last week he certainly gave us uh, an indication, but um, We'll find out if that has changed at all for us. But just quickly, John, before we do go to the cricket, what should people be thinking about before our 35-degree day tomorrow?
2: Well, there's one element that is magic, and that's water. So if you haven't started watering the garden, just turn the sprinklers on or turn the watering systems on. Get a deep soaking, particularly of your trees and your shrubs. You'll find that uh, if you do nothing tomorrow, The soil is quite dry, surprisingly dry, and you'll find that uh, the soil, topsoil, will dry, the plants will wilt, and you'll have sad-looking plants for Christmas Day or in the Christmas festivities. On the other hand, soak now, and the tree will just look after itself, or the shrubs will. With container plants, it's very important that you don't just give them a light watering. Give them a good soaking, and you can make sure that the water does soak through the root ball by adding a soil wetting agent. Very, very valuable, uh, very, very cost-effective. And... uh, while you're doing that, add a little bit of seaweed as well. One of the seaweed products, whether it's a liquid or powder, they're both very, very effective, and that's very, very effective in actually just protecting the plant against hot weather stress.
0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
2: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Let's go to Glengowry. John, you've got some pretty tall magnolias. How can John help you?
4: Yes, good morning. Yes, it's just a question.
5: They're little gem magnolias, but a couple of them, there's about four in a row, and a couple of them are about over seven feet now, and I'm thinking I'd rather keep them within about
2: half a metre
5: of the fence top. Can I prune them? And if I do prune them, how? And would it thicken them up and hedge them a bit? Cause they're yes, in the
2: yes, yes, yes. John, ah, good. Is it in a, are they in a container or in the ground? In the ground, Right. The reason I ask that is uh, two weeks ago, uh, one of my sons over in Melbourne uh, uh, is a very, very keen gardener, and so is Mm -hmm. his wife, and uh, they had uh, little gems growing in very large containers, and one fella Mm -hmm. over, and the the pot broke, and uh, Mm -hmm. they were a little bit aghast when I said, righto, now is the time to give it a short back and sides and these were mm-hmm. plants which would be almost three metres tall, and I said, cut yep. them in half, or cut the the broken one uh, in the broken pot in half, and it looks mm. disgusting, absolutely disgusting, <laughs> but uh, it's a very durable plant. It will respond very, very well to uh, cutting back hard, particularly in a container, uh-huh. uh, taking it out. Uh, well, it had to come out of its container, and uh, so I said, righto, at the same time, reduce the root ball by about a third. <laughs> Uh and uh, again it was major surgery and I said right, put it in the shade and keep it just moist and uh, you'll find that it'll look disgusting until probably autumn and then you won't believe how wonderful it is for the rest of the season so the answer is I go back and say yes, yes, yes you can cut them back hard and they will respond very quickly I would be watering this weekend dirt and you don't cut it back tomorrow or today or tomorrow Mm -hmm. but water and give it some seaweed and some of the uh, uh, products which stimulate root growth, uh, the organic products, and maybe Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I think we're going to be in for a little burst of hot weather between Christmas and New Year and early in January. You may care to hold on until uh, I think Darren will be talking in January about the, the likelihood of a cooler weather coming in uh, towards the end of summer and through autumn, and that would be an ideal time to do it early autumn. Cool.
4: And when I, when I prune them, they'll thicken up a bit? They'll bush a bit more Oh, yeah, absolutely, the yeah.
2: They'll, they'll come uh, into cool. very strong, vigorous growth, and when that new growth is probably 20 or 30 centimetres tall, take the tips out. Take every tip out. And that will mean you'll have lots of little small uh, branches, and give you a nice thick compact bush.
0: Sounds great, John. Hope it works out well. And Nicholas in Kernelite Gardens is battling a fungus on hydrangeas. Hi,
2: Nicholas.
1: G'day. How are you going?
2: Tell us about it. I presume it's powdery mildew, but you need to tell me.
1: Uh, no. It's um, it's we've got uh, sort of brown um, brown spots all over, sort of. Like we've got lots of hydrangeas, lots of flowers, so they're looking great. But we're noticing brown spots over the, over some of the leaves now, Um, and some of the leaves are starting to go yellow. We have noticed a little bit of powdery uh, mildew as well. But yeah, mostly the brown spots. These
2: brown spots are embedded into the leaf.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're embedded into the leaf.
2: Small or large, and are they papery? Are they?
1: Yeah, they're papery, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and pretty, pretty small, but some some are starting to get bigger.
2: Have you had this problem before?
1: Uh, no, we've probably only had the hydrangeas for sort of two years. Um, last year we got some good flowers, but this year we've got some really good flowers, um, lot, lots of them.
2: But right. and I presume um, yeah, that they're gr- they're growing that. in the shade.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, oh, they do do get a bit of shade. Lots of shade,
2: yep. Yeah, lots of shade, I suspect, Um, and probably protected. It's probably one of the uh, leaf spots, many of them, and uh, you'll find that when you have... uh, uh, plants, and particularly if it, uh, they're moist in the morning, the leaves are... Uh, we've had lots of showery weather and that little light, showery weather and stays, uh, the leaves stay wet for quite some time and then if you get a little burst of sunshine on it. That can sort of aggravate it, but it's, it's mainly the showery, wet uh, weather that uh, will uh, set up that problem and unless the leaves dry out quickly, um, then you'll find that leaf spots come in um, If you... I suspect you won't get more problems now because of the fact that temperatures are going to be warm and uh, the air will be dry. But if you see that the problem is continuing, then I would be spraying the trees with copper, liquid copper, probably the best in terms of trying to uh, arrest most of the leaf spots. And uh, do what you can to increase the flow of air through the area. And that might mean uh, uh, not during the middle of summer, but in autumn thinning out the plant and when you're pruning, uh, thin the number of branches so that there's a bit of airflow going through the bush itself.
1: okay, Should we be cutting cutting off the um, the leaves with the fungus on them and, and disposing of them well, or? Um, First first try the liquid
2: copper. Well, it's a matter of uh, they don't look very nice and the the reaction is I'll chop them off. But um, every leaf is valuable, particularly during hot weather. And even though it's a damaged leaf, it's a functional leaf. And (laughs) even though it doesn't look very nice, I would suggest leave the leaves there as long as you possibly can uh, until you can't stand the sight of them (laughs) Uh, because those leaves will help... Uh, keep the plant cool during the very hot weather which is coming our way. Okay, thank you very much.
0: Thanks Nicholas, appreciate the call. Let's go to Josie in Mount Barker would like some shade cloth advice. Hi Josie. Oh, good morning. Um,
4: John, I've got a
0: question about shade cloth. I just want to protect
3: some pots that I haven't put into the ground yet. Uh, and I just, I know there's different percentages and there's probably different qualities, but so just if you had a bit of advice.
2: Well, uh, it concerns me uh, about a lot of the information that's coming out about shade cloth, and it's not fully understood, Uh, and even my colleague uh, Sophie will sort of say, look, uh, you don't need shade cloth because it's likely to increase uh, powdery mildew and fungal diseases. We're not talking about shading the whole plant. Let's use tomatoes as an example. Tomatoes should be shaded on the northern and on the western side and on the top. But you don't need to shade the lower metre of the plant... And if you, do, don't, if you don't shade that, and don't, you'll have airflow underneath the shade. And if you just shade it on the sunny side, you'll get protected from the hot sun. And it's the an effect of the hot sun belting down on the leaves that increases transpiration and puts the plant under stress. You don't need your shade cloth on the southern side or uh, where there's no sun. So it's a matter of wise use of shade cloth is what is needed. Now, people say, oh, this season, it's not going to be needed. And I say, wrong, wrong, wrong. Because on a day when the temperature gets to, uh, four, uh, uh, say, uh, 35 degrees or above, you'll find that soil temperatures get over 50 degrees in the sun. And the soil will get so hot that it'll kill the top soil roots and you'll get plant stress. On the other hand, if you shade the plants you'll reduce the temperatures by 10 or 15 degrees. Put mulch on it, you'll shade it, uh, reduce temperatures by another 10 or 15 degrees. So it's, and and we're going to get, we've got soft plants, but we're going to get heat spikes. And it'll be the heat spikes that will put your plants under stress. And the way to manage that is to use shade cloth correctly. Sorry about the lecture, but it worries me (laughs) that my colleagues... uh, No, I'm not having a go at Sophie. is very, very good in in, in suggesting what she does, but uh, none of my other colleagues are picking up the concept that shade is a thing that will allow gardeners to continue gardening as we get climate change and as we do get hot summers as we're going to get.
0: Well, there you go, Josie. Does that answer your question? Uh, It's... I would like a percentage, like
3: 50%, 70%. I'll put it just on top. Because oh, 50% sure. Area...
2: Try, try and try and use... Sorry, keep going.
3: Uh, yeah, my this area only gets morning sun anyway, but it still gets too much hot sun. Yes. So I thought if I put something over the top of these pot plants that are eventually going to get into the ground, um, just to protect them from, as you say, the, the, the heat of the day. So I didn't know whether to get... What
2: percentage? But you're yeah. saying 50%. Get, get, white shade cloth is by far the best. And listen, um, go and buy a couple of metres of that green netting. You get a green netting, you know, it, it's uh, uh, used for, for gardens and it's flexible. And so every time you plant new seedlings, you make a little mound, a tiny, a little mound that goes over your seedlings and then you have a couple of metres of shade cloth attached to the netting with bulldog clips And you've got a temporary shade. And the people that shade their seedlings for the first week after planting out, find that they have no setback at all. It's absolutely brilliant. So, shade cloth and a little bit of flexible wire is all you need to protect your gardens from sun.
0: <laughs> Tell us how it goes, Josie. Oh, you've Thank got me you very going much this for morning. That. We've got it going. <laughs> uh, look, uh, we would like to speak about uh, one of our, Australia's great gardening identities. In fact, Dave on the text line has said, Vale Peter Cundall. He inspired me to give gardening a go, which is Helped my mental health. Now his famous sign-off, that's your bloomin' lot. And, of course, it was Peter Cundall's bloomin' lot this week. Uh, A very humble man, um, certainly never blew his own trumpet, but I think a lot of people, like Dave, have been equally affected in the way that he has encouraged us to garden.
2: Deb, you're absolutely spot on. Peter was one of those guys that was not seeking his own glory and honour, He was just so giving of himself and I just thought over many decades he has had tremendous influence on home gardeners. And somebody that perhaps can understand that is one of his working colleagues, organic colleagues, Tim Marshall. Tim is a very, very keen organic gardener. He actually chairs NASA, the the National Organisation for Sustainable Agriculture. Good morning to you, Tim Marshall. Good morning, John. So let's take a look at Peter Cundall. Could you comment on maybe the influence that Peter Cundall has had in encouraging people to become organic gardeners?
5: Oh, I, I think it's undoubted that he inspired many, many people. And, uh, and many people have said to me over the years, and especially in the last week, that, uh, that Peter was their original inspiration to actually, uh, well, at least to get into food gardening at least, uh, which was his specialty and his, his love. And he's a very, very special person who who somehow just knew how to connect to people. And uh, I've had the privilege of seeing him in crowds and talking to seven- and eight-year-olds. And it was absolutely amazing that a man in in his 80s at that time uh, was so easily able to make connections with a wide range of people.
2: You and I have been talking gardening, and you in particular have been talking about the value of organic gardening for many years. What influence has Peter had on your attitudes towards organic gardening?
5: Uh, Well, I was already very committed to organic gardening before I met Peter, but his encouragement, I think, was really important. And I think, uh, you know, as as you start to step out into the public and, you know, write books and on the radio and those sorts of things you know we uh, no matter how confident we are we all have doubts and to have uh you know uh, uh tributes and pats on the back and wonderful introductions uh, to my books written by peter uh w- w- was uh, uh, was definitely important and the fact that i you know that i felt that i could ring peter and i could talk to him as a mate I think, what was really important for me.
2: Yes, you have written many gardening books uh, relating to organic gardening, and I suspect there's a lot of uh, the principles of uh, uh, Peter Cundall in those books. Uh, you mentioned that if he was a very effective communicator. What can we as broadcasters and presenters and others uh, learn about communication?
5: Oh, that's a... Uh, a- uh, an interesting question. Well, first thing you have to say any, from anyone who actually knew Peter is absolutely amazing humility. And uh, you know, no matter how he grew in his knowledge and his reputation, he never abandoned that, uh, that, that simple sort of down-home person-to-person ability that he had that allowed him to talk to almost any type of stranger that he met. At gardening shows and those sorts of things. My own relationship with Peter actually originally started in an airport waiting rooms, uh, w- which was the first two or three times that I that I met him until I received an invitation to visit him at home.
2: Yes, and I think you're saying that Peter talked with you rather than at you,
5: Tim. Oh, absolutely.
2: Again. Time is our enemy this morning, so many thanks for joining the program, and I value your comments very much on the influence of Peter Cundall. Look forward to next time you come to Adelaide, and maybe we can talk organic in more detail.
5: Thank you. And just one last comment about, about Peter. He didn't really want to eat anything that didn't come out of his garden. That's how committed he was to, to what he did. Yeah.
0: He's a wonderful man and we've had the pleasure to have him as a guest on Talk About Gardening. Yeah. And so Vale, Peter Cundall and Tim Marshall, thank you very much for joining us this year. So many times to talk about organic gardening and we look forward to you joining us in 2022. Thank you. Thank you. Tim Marshall um, from the National Association for Sustainable Agriculture um, and Organic Expert. We are coming to Ray from Keswick in just a moment. I will announce the winners of the ABC Gardening. In fact, I'll do it now so that you know who the winners are. Our Christmas ABC Gardening Australia packs are going to, this week, Greg from Craigmore. Verica or Verica, I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry, from Flaxman Valley, and Geraldine from Anglevale. Congratulations to the three of you. If you're not Greg, Verica, or Geraldine, and you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month, then please call now if you'd like to win yourself an ABC Gardening Australia magazine. We have two to give away. Call now one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: The phones are running hot. I'll let you know who our ABC Gardening Australia magazine winners are in just a moment. But Ray is in Keswick and you've got a, a bit of an infestation with your indoor maidenhair, Ray. I have.
5: Yeah, good morning, Deb. Good morning, John. I have three little maidenhair ferns throughout my little unit. But they all have, the, and I've changed the potting soil several times, tried to drown them. They have these little tiny, tiny flying nuisances in the potting soil is where they hide.
2: Yeah, little uh, fungus gnats. And oh. they are quite uh, uh, gregarious and they can build up their numbers very, very, very quickly. And they just thrive on nice, moist potting mix, particularly near oh. the surface? The answer, of course, is to not have your topsoil of any kind of a plant, but particularly your maiden hairs on the, the over-moist side. Now, maiden not they shouldn't be allowed to dry out. So you've got to watch it fairly closely. And... Uh, what I would be suggesting, as I were talking about before, is rather than watering from the top and getting the top yeah. all nice and moist, water from the bottom. That's very, very effective, and that way you can uh, just regulate the amount of moisture that's up near the surface, and then try and allow the top centimetre of soil uh, or potting mix to dry out completely before you actually get more moisture into it. That will reduce or slow down the, the procreation of these little gnats. There are products which you can use, um, and uh, w- uh, what have you got at the top of your potting mix? Is it just bare potting mix?
5: Yeah, it's just bare potting mix, John. I've try- even tried cancer blocks, do you mind?
2: No, I don't.
5: That didn't work, no. Um, I, I have tried to drown the pl- the, pl- um, the creatures and no. by soaking that, but that obviously helped them rather than...
2: Yeah. No, moisture control is, or moisture management is the answer. Uh, If you pop into your local garden centre, Yates came out with a new product, which is specifically for uh, fungus gnats. And it's brilliant. It's just ground up pumice. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, and and, and pumice, when it's ground up, is all uh, uh, gritty. (laughs) And they obviously don't like putting their little oviposities into gritty kind Uh of materials. So they don't don't procreate. And I think a fair end to them all reduces their, uh, their, their fun and games.
4: I think, I'll, I think I'll
5: try your first suggestion at Dwarton from the bottom, I think. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks, Ray, for the Thank call. You. Thank you very much. Uh, on the text line... Um this text, Frosty says, Peter Cundall, I loved his accent and his enthusiasm and his unique terminology and expressions. He certainly did have those. Thanks, Frosty, for that. Uh, some feedback for you, John. Louise says, Bathroyd worked a treat and I now have a strawberry crop without millipedes.
2: Oh, that's good feedback. Thank you very much for that. People are frightened sometimes of the chemicals that are out there. But uh, the chemical world is changing dramatically. Uh, Bathroid is one of those old-fashioned ones, so it is toxic, and you just need to read the directions and follow the directions. But if you do, you'll get good control without destroying the environment.
0: Also on the text line, uh, Gary in Albany in WA says he has uh, enjoyed the program and has received a copy of Tomato by Penny Woodward, which looks great and he's sure will provide invaluable uh, information as a reference book. And, of course, Penny, our very special guest, at the top of the program today.
2: Yes, if you know a keen gardener, and they like growing their vegetables, particularly tomatoes. Um, it's a big book. It's a, a fairly expensive book, but it is a brilliant book, on, a reference book. And the nice thing I like about it is, in the centre, there's all these photos of all the things that go wrong with tomatoes. <laughs> so and you so can look, you can and see the, the spots on the leaves, <laughs> or the leaves going wilting, or uh, uh, black ends on your tomatoes. And there's not only the solution or the the, the, the description of it, but But there's also the answer, too. And uh, I think Penny is just brilliant in terms of the amount of gardening information she has gathered and put together in a range of different, very readable books.
0: Yes, she is incredible. And if you'd like to hear, of course, anything back, you can listen to the podcast of this uh, wherever you get your podcasts of the hour from 9 until 10. Of course, I recommend the ABC Listen app for that. Make sure you subscribe to John Lamb's Good Gardening newsletter and get all of your information to your email on a Friday morning. And next week we'll have another three Christmas gift packs for ABC Gardening Australia to give away if you haven't won anything from our station in the last month.
2: And while you're talking about giving gifts to listeners, I might talk a little bit about... Garden gifts for gardeners as well. What are the kind of things uh, we've talked about it probably every Christmas for quite some time, but there are new things coming through, good ideas. And so uh, uh, you might like to come in with your suggestions too. Uh, So we'll ask for some texts and your ideas and some really good new or different kind of Christmas gifts.
0: Well, two weeks out from Christmas, just briefly, what's Darren Ray's latest prediction, John?
2: Would you believe there is warm... Temperatures in the lands to the north of South Australia. The weather patterns are changing. Some models are suggesting that that warm weather is going to be drawn down over South Australia on Christmas Day. But... Darren Ray is sticking to his guns. (laughs) (laughs) He said, uh, it's a pretty dicky one, this one, John. He said last year it was pretty good, but this time uh, he's still suggesting that the patterns will hold and we will still get a very pleasant Christmas dinner and Christmas weather, but... There's hot weather before, could be some hot weather after, and I look forward to talking to Darren first Saturday of next month when he'll talk a little bit about what's going to happen in summer.
0: And until then...
2: I'll say good gardening. (laughs)